Today's episode is brought to you by the She Leads Podcast Network, the first network for women by women. Visit SheLeadsPodcast.com to learn more today. Welcome to the Creative Visionaries Podcast. My name is Tori Barker, a digital marketing specialist, business owner, mom, and you guessed it, a creative visionary. This podcast is about inspiring business owners, building connections, sharing success stories, and motivating others. Join me on this journey as we tap into your true potential and unleash your inner visionary. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us on the Creative Visionaries podcast. I am here today with our guest, Bob Wolverton, and I'm excited for you to hear about his uh, journey getting to his career as a leadership speaker and trainer for top tier leadership training. Uh, Bob, welcome on. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Tori. Thank you for uh, having me today. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Yeah. So tell us about your journey and how you came to this place in your life and, and what you're doing right now. Well, I started gosh, back in 1984 in, in the law enforcement. And I was second generation law enforcement. My father had done his career with the Seattle Police Department. And I went to work for a, a city outside of Seattle, you know, out in the suburbs sort of thing. And as I went into uh, work in that career, within a very short period of time, I promoted to first level supervision. And I think anybody, when, no matter when they promote, whether they promote to first level supervision, to middle management, or the executive level, they want to learn to be a good leader. And that's really what started my leadership journey. Now, picture that this is back in the, the 1980s, so about 1988, 1989, and I'm going to classes that are labeled leadership classes, but what they were teaching was planning, organizing, directing, controlling, and then that's what they thought leadership was back in the 80s, back yeah. in the late 80s, but that's management. But oh boy, was I a great manager. <laughs> I was great with numbers and I was great with controlling and planning and organizing. I mean, that sort of stuff. I'm, I'm very left brain. So all that stuff came very natural to me. But then as time went on, what I realized that I was missing this going, this isn't leadership, this is management. So yeah. then I started on a leadership journey, trying to learn how to be a better leader. And of course, you know, as as the curriculum changed, you know, leadership classes truly became leadership classes. And uh, I was a graduate of the FBI National Academy. I went to the FBI National Academy in Quantico, Virginia in 1995, learned some leadership techniques there and a lot of mentoring sort of thing going on, trying to learn from other leaders, started a leadership book club at work, trying to learn from the best-selling leadership books at the time. But it wasn't until age 52 when I went back to college and got my bachelor's degree and my master's degree, both in management and leadership. And really, I think it was the master's degree that really laid it up. And finally, the light bulb came on after decades of experience and then putting that academic experience and marrying those two together. That's when the light bulb came on for me. And then I started teaching leadership uh, theories and, and so on. I started, I became a leadership instructor at the Washington State Criminal Justice Training Commission. And I still do that today because I've become so passionate about sharing what I've learned about leadership and how to be an effective leader. And now with all of this hindsight, I look back and I had five bosses, basically five different chiefs of police for my career. And one of them was really a great leader. One of them stood out heads and shoulders above everybody else. And now when I look back, I can identify exactly why that person was such a great leader, why the whole organization was so inspired and we were so proud of the organization we worked for and what those differences were between that one leader and the other four that I worked for that basically 
they were just along for the ride. They weren't leading anything. They were just along yeah. for the ride. So they that's, just didn't, they didn't have that education or knowledge to, to apply well, that leadership, right? That's where most people get their leadership experience is just from mimicking the person that was ahead of them. You know, they're learning from within their organization most of the time. Matter of fact, uh, some time ago, it was the United States Chamber of Commerce did a survey and asked people, where did you learn your leadership experience from? And most of them said it was trial by fire. You know, it was like thrown in the water and learn to swim sort of thing. And then the second greatest one was from leadership books and classes, and then uh, basically uh, mimicking what you had seen in the workplace. And that's what I see in, in my field. And I, and I actually see it in a lot of places uh, was actually Rod Covey, who was the uh, former chief of the Port of Seattle Police Department. He wrote this one time, I think it was on LinkedIn, I saw it. And he talked about how in our industry, people get promoted because they're a really great technician, they get promoted to the next level. But the only thing they learn about leadership is the person that was that preceded them. So they learned from their old supervisor who learned from their previous supervisor and all along that chain over decades of, of well-intended people really may not have known much about leadership at all. And there is so much to learn. And that's why I get so passionate about teaching these classes because when you understand the intrinsic motivation for people, why they come to work for you, uh, when you start getting that picture and realizing what is what am I lacking in providing the right environment for that person? Uh, that's where the true leadership comes out. And that's what I get so inspired about. That's why I love teaching the classes that I teach. Yeah, I, you know, I'm very passionate about leadership myself and, and find that, you know, it's so interesting if there is um, a disconnect at the top of a company, top level, that there's no leadership, how that trickles down and affects the entire organization. And just having uh, the knowledge and the experience and putting forth, you know, um, the guidance and, and, and leading your organization in the right way makes such a huge difference. Well, one of the, one of the, uh, the tests that I like to use in my class, and I just use it as an example for to get people to start thinking about how they're providing direction with an organization. And I will ask them to list the top three to five priorities of their organization. And it's interesting when I have people in my class that are from the same organization, like same middle managers, and they I've actually had this happen before where two middle managers were sitting next to each other from the same organization. And when I asked them to write down on a piece of paper, the top three to five priorities of the organization, they kind of paused. And then they looked at each other and they just busted out laughing because they knew they weren't going to write down the same answer. Well, <laughs> yeah. if your employees don't know what the top priorities are of your organization, especially your middle managers, I can guarantee you the line employees don't know. But what yeah. that tells me is that the executive levels not providing the direction that the organization needs, or they think they're providing it and the message isn't getting through somehow. Yeah, yeah so that's a also disconnect. a critical component, component too, is to make sure that you get feedback because from whatever level you are, you're currently residing, whether it's middle management or executive, and say you send out a new policy, well, you issue that policy expecting a certain outcome. And right. if you don't get feedback to make sure you're getting the outcome you expect where the rubber meets the road, that could be a catastrophic failure. And I, I utilize it, you know, of course, being in law enforcement, you know, we would have to qualify with our handguns every, um, every six months. And I would characterize that with the fact it would be like, if you went to the gun range, and of course your intent is to hit the bullseye on the target, right? So you know all the mechanics. So right, you know right. the mechanics, you line up the sights and you slowly squeeze the trigger and you fire off a round. And then you walk away and you never get feedback to find out if you really did hit the bullseye or not. Well, that's the same thing as if you issue a policy 
you're expecting it to have a particular outcome. I hit the bullseye and you know all the mechanics of how to issue the bullseye or how to issue the policy. Yeah. But if you don't get the feedback from where the rubber meets the road to make sure you're getting the outcome you expect, you may never even come close to hitting the bullseye. It might get down to the line level and they're going, what the heck are they talking about? Or what are they thinking? This doesn't make any sense at all. And then it yeah. just falls into the big void and nothing ever changes. Yeah, and that, I mean, that just talks to the point about like when you think about uh, the message getting to to the people throughout the organization, everybody receives uh, a message or interprets something differently. And so as a leader, that's another thing that you have to be mindful of and aware of is that the message that you're putting across is coming through and being received in the right way. Because it's like, you know, some people, some people are visual, some people are audio, you know, you know, different ways that people receive messages and, and being able as a leader to uh, construe and, and, you know, kind of get that message across in the right way is, is another important aspect of that role too. Well, and that's what we were talking about earlier before the, the podcast started, uh, focusing on results. Yeah. So when you issue that communication, whether it's a policy or whatever it is, you are intending it's going to accomplish something that's going to have some sort of result. Yeah. And unless you have a feedback cycle to ensure that that result occurred, you don't know if you're, if you're getting the results you want or not. And that's supposed to be your responsibility is to focus on results. Yeah. So this is, you're talking about the three little known um, responsibilities of a primary leadership. So talk about that. So what are those three primary leadership responsibilities and why are they important? Okay. Well, this became, uh, or I should say, I noticed this because being in a paramilitary organization, I would frequently hear people say, well, I'm in charge of this. I'm in charge of detectives or I'm in charge of this uh, division or something like that. Although I should say, since my retirement, I've also learned that it's not just specific to my law enforcement industry. I hear it in the private sector all the time. You know, I'm in charge of this or I'm in charge of that. And my take on it is that you're not so much in charge as you're responsible for the outcomes of either your team, your division, or the organization, depending where you are. You know, whether you promoted a first level supervision, then you're responsible for the outcomes or the results of your team. If you promoted a middle management, then you're responsible for the outcomes or the results of maybe an entire division or multiple divisions even. Yeah. And of course, if you're promoted to the executive level, well, then you're responsible for the outcomes or results of the entire organization. And that's where I start. That's where I talk about the first responsibility is to focus on results. But the benefit of that is it gets you out of that micromanagement issue. And I hear so many complaints from line level employees. I hate being micromanaged. I hate being micromanaged. My boss is such a micromanager. Well, my experience through that has been that when we were a line level employee, I refer to that as the technician, the person that actually does the work. We were a really great technician. We did the work really well. And that's why we got promoted. Yeah. But we've got to realize we've got to step back now and not focus on how many nails to hammer and how many holes to drill. We have to focus on the results. And when we can focus on the results, that's when we get away from micromanagement, allow people to use their ingenuity. In fact, I think it was General George Patton that was famous for uh, this, this particular quote, said, don't, don't tell people how to do something, tell them what you want them to accomplish and get out of their way and their ingenuity will amaze you. You know, and yeah, that's what yeah. people want in the workplace. They want to be empowered to use their knowledge, skills and abilities to get the result that you want. So when you focus on results, you're in essence empowering your people, which stimulates that intrinsic motivation. It just makes it a much better workplace. Now, that, so that's the number one responsibility. And like I said, that applies no matter what level you get promoted to. The second responsibility is to facilitate the success of the people you're responsible for. 
And again, whether it's at the team level, the division level, or the organizational level, doesn't matter what level you are, focus on the um, on facilitating their success, making sure that they have the knowledge, skills, and ability that they've gotten the training they need, that they have the tools that they need, that they have the environment that they need to be successful at what they're doing, and that you empower them to do that. Again, you're focusing on the results, build me that wall, and let them use their ingenuity. And if they need training, make sure they get the training, or if they need better tools, or whatever the situation is, you're facilitating that success. Yeah, absolutely. And that builds onto trust, where people realize, yeah, they're not here to uh, find everything that I do wrong. My boss is doing everything they can to help me succeed and make my career better. And then the, the third responsibility, and again, this applies to all three levels, whether it's first level, middle management, or executive level, is to safeguard uh, their welfare. Yeah. Make sure that they have a safe work environment. Make sure that they have the proper safety training, that it's a work environment free of harassment or these other issues. Anything that can cause either the employee to get injured or to get fired, uh, or to get sued, or any of this stuff, you, to safeguard their welfare. That's your responsibility. And so what I would hope that would happen is that when you start thinking in these terms of focusing on results, facilitating their success, and safeguarding their welfare, is that if you do have a situation that arises where somebody potentially gets in trouble or gets a citizen complaint, or whatever, that your first thought as the supervisor, as the manager, as the executive, that your first thought is, what could I have done or what should I have done to prevent this from occurring to my employee. You know, did I have some culpability in this? And a lot of times what you'll find is your culpability is that there wasn't proper communication in that policy, that either it wasn't understood the way you intended it or, or whatever the situation may be, and that you should be doing something different. And I find that if leaders start looking at it that way as if, if they have a situation that goes awry in the workplace, if they start looking at their own personal responsibility first, what could I have done or what should I have done to prevent this from occurring to my employee that I'm responsible for? It changes the whole dynamics of the workplace. And that's where real trust comes in the workplace. Yeah. And I think you just kind of touched on it, but the, the fact that a leader will look within and see how they can improve and what needs to, um, to be changed in order for the result to be better. I think that truly in itself is another sign of a great leader, somebody who's willing to look at themselves and say, okay, maybe I didn't communicate this the right way, or maybe we need to improve this. And not only just being like, you know, you're the one who did it wrong or pointing the finger, pointing blame and really taking that, that ownership and the responsibility and, and building the leadership, you know, qualities within your organization that way too. Well, and that's where it's, it's really vital on specific situations that, that may arise in the workplace. But I also relate that to, I, I am a big proponent of 360 degree surveys. And uh, I remember there was a time when, when I was assigned to patrol operations and I had a colleague, another police captain, he was responsible for night shift, I was responsible for day shift, and we collaborated a lot together. I mean, we were on this leadership journey together. We highly respect each other. We were all about making our entire division better overall. And so we did, we built a, a survey monkey. So our people that reported to us could give us feedback on these different criteria. And, you know, it was all anonymous and so on, but we wanted the feedback. We wanted, yeah. you know, critical uh, feedback if we could get it. And what was really interesting in, in some of the topics that we thought we really excelled, the feedback told us, yeah, you have some work to do. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and in other areas where we thought we were still weak, the employees would tell us, oh no, you're doing great in that area, you know, sort of thing. So until you get, until you close that feedback loop, you know, you might be thinking, oh, I'm weak here. I need to work on this. And your employees are thinking, oh no, you're weak on this other thing. You should be working on that. <laughs> and with that disconnect, it's going to cause problems. And that's where I say a lot of times that if 
as as the leader, if I rate if I rate myself on a scale of one to ten and say I, I think I'm an eight, but my employees think I'm a four, that gap that's a problem. Yeah. But if I think I'm an eight and my employees think I'm a seven, well, that's a pretty small gap. So that, that means we're we're doing okay there. You know, we're we've uh we we've got the the same issues at heart then. But, we're all getting yeah, better. You definitely want your numbers a little closer than the <laughs> to align a little bit better, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And that's where I think that these uh these 360 degree reviews, however you execute them, whether you do Survey Monkey or whatever, like you have to get that feedback because we have the best of intentions. You know, I don't think anybody comes to work wanting to be a jerk. Right. <laughs> Nobody does it. They want to be good, but you you won't know unless you get that feedback. You get that close that cycle. And again, it's that focus on the results. And that's just one aspect of well, what sort of results as a leader am I conveying to my people when they give me that feedback and say, wow, I thought I was doing better in this area, but obviously I need to work on that. And thank you for giving me that feedback because I want to be better. Right. Now, how have you seen over the years with the pandemic, the last couple of years that we're still kind of going through, how have you seen the transition with leadership from uh, organizations being in person and office workspace versus now this virtual um, kind of lifestyle that we're all in. How have you seen leadership roles shift? Have you seen improvements? What, what's your thoughts on the on the shift with the virtual leadership? Well, in my experience, so all of my classes have gone to virtual. And so I don't work in an office environment anymore. So I can't really address uh, the office environment per se. And I know on my, the classes that I do virtually, it's, it's really difficult, especially because I, I co-teach a 40 hour class and man to, I mean, if we were going to do a 40 hour podcast, <laughs> you know, it would be tough for us to sit here just even one-on-one, -on -one, you know, looking at each other when you've got a class of 35 people, you know, in the class. And so in essence, what I've done is I've, I bought basically the equivalent of TV switching equipment so I can get more videos in there, make the switching. It, it's more like a TV show, yeah. you know, sort of just trying to keep it interesting, but it, there's a lot of the same communication issues mm -hmm. that I have with organizations that are geographically dispersed. I mean, it's easy when you work in an office environment when everybody works in the same building or even works on the same floor. Right. Well, I went from an organization where we were all on one floor and the organization grew enough. We built a new building and now we had multiple floors and just even being in the same building and that separation of floors, it was amazing how it adversely impacted personal relationships. There would be people you wouldn't see for months or like a division would hire new employees. You haven't even ever even met in a year. They've been there already, you know, right. and just that amount of separation within the same building. And then you look at organizations that are geographically dispersed where they've got, you know, divisions in another state or even another country mm -hmm. and the challenges that come with those communication issues. I think that Zoom has helped, you know, and these, these video platforms have helped a lot, but again, it's that communication loop. Yeah. You know, we have, we have a communication that we, that we're intending to transmit a certain message and we have to figure out how are we going to make sure that it was received the way that we intended it to be received and that it's getting the results that we intended it to get. Yeah. You know, it's funny. My, my background before I started my business was in corporate. So I was in the office, right? The office, you know, um, side by side working with my, you know, employee, my, my colleagues and, and everybody was in the same building. And then, I started my own business and I started, you know, kind of solopreneur working from home and then was ready to start growing my company and then COVID hit. And so I was like, okay, so 
I'm definitely working from home, right? <laughs> and the team that I've built is all virtual. So I've got team members who are in Oregon and Florida and Washington. And so we're all geographically over, you know, dispersed across the US. And so for me, because leadership is important to me in communication and trust and teamwork, I have, you know, weekly calls with my team so that we can see face to face, right? It could be a 15 minute call, it could be an hour call, but whatever we need to do, we, we have that touch point. And then, like you said, different means of communication we have, you know, um, We'll have a Voxer channel that we send voice chats through, text messages. We have, you know, um, project management tools. It's like over communication is like huge for us because we are virtual and things are moving so quickly. And so I think a lot of people can relate with that too, that, you know, coming from a corporate world now into a virtual space and working with clients all across the U.S. and internationally, you know, some people may be working internationally too. And having that communication and, and just over communicating is, is such a huge, uh, just natural thing for us now. Yeah. And it's difficult, especially for the CEO, because they're supposed to be communicating what the vision is, you know, and making sure that everybody is, is, has bought into that. They've been part of the process of building that and, and moving it forward yeah. and so on. So to ensure that communication, I think it was uh, one of the former CEOs of Westinghouse. He, he estimated he spent 45% of his day walking around transmitting that vision. You know, this is what we're, this is what we aspire to accomplish this is what we aspire to become, you know, and making sure that everybody was on board with that. So that communication issue is, is extremely important. Yeah. You know, you had mentioned uh, doing a book club. Well, um, I have one of my team members and I were, she's on the leadership team with me. And so we uh, read books together. It's our little mini book club, right? And so we read all types of leadership books, business books, entrepreneur books. And then we, we you know, share notes, right? What did you get from this chapter? What did you do there? And, and for that, um, you know, I can't imagine not having these outlets or these books to have as training modules and podcasts like this, you know, where people can listen in and, and learn from different methodologies or, or tips and, and how to be a better leader and just whatever it is that you're looking for. There's so much information out there. And, and I just love the, the leadership book side of things. So I was, when you said you had a book club, I'm like, oh yes, I'm totally on board. <laughs> well, and I think, you know, that, that was such a great place to start. I mean, we definitely learned a lot and that's what we were doing. We were doing like you were doing, taking the tips that we were learning from the books and, and how does this apply to our everyday real life sort of right. thing? Right, but, right. but here's where the light bulb really came on for me. So I mentioned how I was, I was assigned to the patrol operations division. And when I was first assigned there, I came from a completely different floor, hadn't worked in this division before. And I went to the sergeants that reported directly to me and I went to them individually. And because I, I wanted to get an idea of the direction they had been getting and what they felt the mission was of this division. Yeah. And I said, so I went to them individually and I asked them, so, so as a division, do you think we were successful last year? And if so, why, you know, yes or no. And what are you using as a measure of success? Well, every sergeant said to me, oh yeah, I think we were totally successful. Well, okay, why? What are you using as a measure of success? They all had completely different measures of success. Mm -hmm. I mean, and they were so far opposite of each other. Well, what this tells me is that they weren't getting the direction they needed. So with the best of intentions, 
they were doing what they thought they should be doing, but everybody was rowing in a different direction. You know? <laughs> and so that's where it became, it was, it's kind of like that question I said before is, is ask your people, what are the top three to five priorities of your organization? Yeah. And if they're all on the same sheet of music, great. And if they're not, well, then it's time to provide direction. So that's when I first got assigned to this division. Then I recognized, wow, my first responsibility here is to provide direction to this division of what we aspire to accomplish as a division. You know, and so that's where, you know, just asking your people, were we successful last year? Yes or no. And what do you use in a measure of success? That could be another test or quiz that you give to find yeah, out, yeah. am I doing my job as a leader or what do I need to do differently? Because everybody that, that you know, re reported to me, they came to work every day with the best of intentions. They wanted to do good work, but they hadn't been getting direction. So they, they fill in the gap, that void of information. They will fill in the gap with something that they think is the right thing, but it may not align with the vision of the entire organ or the mission of the entire organization. Yeah. And, and when you were reading these books, um, the leadership books, you, you said, you know, earlier when we were talking that the focus of a lot of these books were on um, leaders, the relationship between leaders and the followers. And so what is it that, what's the essence of the leadership um, that you feel needs to be conveyed or, or talk a little bit about that? Okay. So the, uh, I, I mentioned earlier about that interpersonal relationship, and that's where I think the vast majority of, of the best-selling leadership books, they focus on that interpersonal relationship. And that's the influencer part. Mm. You know, that's the trust, and the vulnerability. And we already touched a little bit on trust and developing that in, within the organization. But when I look at the bosses in my industry, I should say the chiefs in my industry that were very successful, and what I've seen in private practice, the people that are very successful versus those that aren't very successful leaders, the difference has been is they were providing direction to the organization. They had a vision that inspired people. I said, yes, I want to be part of that. I had worked for people that said, I just want everybody to get along. <laughs> you know, Well, to me, that's like the, the skipper on, on the bridge <laughs> of the battleship. And he's just got his hand on the wheel. And we're not going to change course. We're not going to do anything different. We're just going to go this way. Well, they're not leading anything. They're along for the ride. Right. So somebody that's providing direction of how are we going to do things different in the future? How are we going to be better in the future? You know, how are we going to be different in the future? And then when people buy into that, go, that totally makes sense. And I want to contribute to making that happen. Because that's what people want when we talk about theories of human motivation. There's six different theories of human motivation, and they all are kind of like a jigsaw puzzle. But really, and when we talk about needs theory, people want to do something meaningful with their lives. They want to contribute to something bigger than themselves. And that's where that intrinsic motivation comes from. So the organization that they go to work for is when it's doing something meaningful and they're contributing to something bigger than themselves. That's where people love what they do, you know, and there's some of the big tech companies, you know, that do that. I mean, it doesn't, you don't have to search too far and you will find organizations that the vision is so compelling that the people that work for that organization or even people coming out of college right now, they know who they want to go to work for because they're inspiring yeah. to work for. They're contributing to something meaningful that's going to change the world, you know, that sort of thing. And that's what motivates people. And you don't necessarily have to change the world, but if you're in business and you're successful, you're filling some sort of need within the community. I mean, that's why customers are buying your product because you're fulfilling a need, but are you doing it better than everybody else? You know, and, yeah. and when you can contribute to something that's meaningful that people say, yeah, I want to buy this because I need this. It makes my life better. That's something great to contribute to. But it's, uh, you know, when I talk about the person that's at the helm and they're not ever going to change course and they're just along for the ride. You know, when I was in business school, they said, there's two types of businesses. 
those that are changing and those that are going out of business, you know? <laughs> so whether you're public or private, you know, nonprofit or whatever, you've got to be changing. Our environment is constantly changing. So the role of the leader is to scan the horizon, see how our things are changing, say, we need to go this direction. And this is why, and this is how we can make things better. And that's when, you know, people, you get people on board with that. And I, like I said, that one boss that I had, we used to have our, we had shirts made up with our logo embroidered on it. We had, you know, workout sweats, you know, with the name of our organization and a sleeve in the pant. We were proud, you know, to wear our sweats and we we're jogging through town or whatever, you know, because we were proud to be part of the organization. Yeah. And we didn't have any problems recruiting. We didn't have any problems with retention, you know, for that period that we had that one really great leader that was indeed a leader. I learned so much from him. And in hindsight, I've learned so much more because I wasn't even mature enough to absorb it all at the time. There were things that he would tell me and I'm like, I don't quite get it yet. But now, you know, years later, oh, I totally get what he meant. You yeah. Know? You're like, I'm going to hold on to that thought because I know one day it'll start to make sense. Exactly. <laughs> Well, I want to ask one final question and it kind of, you know, ties into our conversation about, you know, this whole journey and stuff and in your career and looking back. And so that final question would be, what is something you wish someone had told you during your career journey? Well, you know, it, it's, we, we really were just about uh, touching on it there. It wasn't, yeah. he did tell me. I wasn't mature enough to understand it at the time, you know, but uh, so one of the things that I've added to my curriculum in the last year is ethical decision-making in the workplace. Mm -hmm. And when I started building that curriculum, that's when the light bulb came on and I go, oh man, when Mark told me this thing and what he told me, he says, whenever you have an issue that, you know, that you're looking how to resolve an issue, he says, you have to take that sphere and you have to turn it and turn it and look at it from every different angle. And I, I it didn't really resonate with me. I'm trying to like, well, how do you take this issue and look at it from, from different angles. But then the light bulb came on for me when I started building my curriculum on ethical decision-making and you start looking at things from a consequentialism approach, from a deontological approach, from a virtue ethics approach, from these different approaches, then like, like that's what Mark was talking about all those years ago was, you know, looking at it from all these different angles. I just didn't know how to apply it at the time. I just didn't have the, what I'd say, the workplace maturity in yeah. essence. And so when I, when I, added this part of the to my curriculum ethical decision making in the workplace where we talk about the deontological approaches and the virtue ethics approach and consequentialism and how to make sure because what you're doing is then you're looking at things from completely different angles and using all of that in your decision making matrix to make a decision that's not only the best decision you can make but it's also defensible if somebody goes, well, how did you come to that decision? That sounds ridiculous. Well, I evaluated this and I evaluated this and I evaluated that. And based on all that information combined, this was my final decision. And it makes it much more defensible to your, uh, to your board. In essence, if you're the CEO and you know, the board's going, well, why did you make that decision? You know, sort of thing. Uh, so there's a, there's a lot of value in that too. And Awesome. And so, so you touched a little bit on the trainings that you do. Can you just kind of tell us about uh, what you do in your business and the training and, and how you help these executive leaders and leaders um, to improve their knowledge and, and uh, growing their leadership role and their responsibilities. Well, I, I take a couple of different approaches and I, I will tell you right off the bat, I probably shouldn't start with this, but I'll, I'll start and then I'll go back the other way and come back to it again. So my definition of leadership is a very simple definition, simple definition, and that's merely having the capacity to translate vision into reality. So in essence, you've got that vision of the future, whether you've defined it yourself or you've utilized, you know, the team that you work with to develop that vision. And then 
the able, able to translate that into reality. In essence, you know, it may take three, four, five, seven years to make it happen, but you're going down that path to make that happen. But to do that, there's a lot of steps to get there to, to even developing that. And so one of the things that I start with is I call it a systems analysis, because everything we do in our organization is a system that usually we've created ourselves, whether you want to call it a systems or a process or so on. It's some issue. I mean, right down to the way that we accept employment applications. Right. We figured out a process, how to get from A to B, you know, and all the steps in between. And so when we understand, when we can look at our organizations as a collection of systems and then make sure that they're as efficient as possible. And the best way to do that is the people that use that system every day is to get their feedback. And this is where one of the places that I like to start in my training, because if you've got employees that are say one, well, why do we do it this way? This doesn't make sense. And, you know, the old uh, autocratic response used to be, you know, we don't want to hear what you have to say. Just do what we tell you to do sort of thing. You <laughs> yeah. know, at least our workplaces have become more enlightened now. If they don't have a good answer, like, well, why do we do it that way? They start researching it. And ultimately that research may lead to changing the process. But that's a red flag. If you've got employees going, this doesn't make any sense. Why do we do it this way? Yeah. There may be a component they don't know yet because they haven't been exposed to it. And then you give them that information and they go, oh, with that, well, that totally makes sense. But if you don't have that information to share, then maybe that process needs changing. Mm -hmm. And when somebody is stuck in a process or a system that they're doing every day and it doesn't make sense to them, or they think it's inefficient, or they think that it's stupid, that just tears down their morale. They don't want to work in an environment like that. Yeah, so yeah. that's where I like to start with middle managers and executives is to understand how to improve systems, listen for those red flags. And I call it the 12 foot rule, that people that are within 12 feet of where that problem is occurring should be involved in solving that situation because they do it every day. They're, they're the experts. Absolutely. And that's where I say, if you used to be a great technician and now you've promoted all the way up to the executive level, things have changed you know, in, in that gap of time, you know, listen to your people because they want to contribute. They want to make things better. They've, they've got the best of attention. So start with the systems analysis and, and how to make those better and, and how to make things more efficient. Then I also talk about theories of motivation. And like I said earlier, there's six theories of human motivation. Uh, one of the, the most critical ones to morale within the workplace is what we call equity theory. And I've got, it's, it's kind of a hilarious video, but it's absolutely true that we, it's built into our DNA that we recognize inequities in the workplace. That if I'm getting paid X and you're getting paid X, but I feel I'm working twice as hard as you are, and I'm going to get to a point like, why am I working so hard? I'm just going to fly below the radar and I'm going to yeah. you know, do what Tori does. She's making the same amount of money I'm, I'm doing, you know? And, <laughs> and there's a whole bunch of different theories you know, on way people will deal with that. But a lot of times the way they start to restore equity is they increase their absenteeism. They start calling in sick. Mm. They're like, well, God, I, you know, I was working so hard and I wasn't getting rewarded. This is how I'm going to get my reward back. I'm going to start using my sick leave. Yeah. And so you see things like that, or people just quit. They go to a different division or, you know, quit their boss or something like that. Uh, so that one's important to know, but the more critical one to understand how your vision relates to uh, motivating employees is through needs theory. You know, that so we all have needs that we're trying to fulfill and we've got, you know, and this was kind of an interesting story too, is that, you know, years ago when I went through my first level supervisor training, they were telling me about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And I remember thinking, why do I need to know this? This doesn't make any sense. Why do I need, as a first line supervisor, why do I need to know Maslow's hierarchy of needs? Well, let's roll the clock. I had a couple of decades. And now I totally get it <laughs> you know, because we, as human beings, we are fulfilling certain needs. We have the low level needs. We obviously have to have food and water and shelter. Well, if 
they're one of our employees, we've taken care of that with a paycheck. So now they can afford to put a roof over there, they can put food on their table. So we've taken care of those needs. Yeah, now yeah. they move up to the belongingness. They want to belong to something. They want to you know, contribute to something and they want something to be more meaningful. And then you get to the belongingness. And um, now I've, I forgot the, uh, the other two levels, but basically you get to that ultimate level of success where you, know, you have reached the pinnacle of success. You're contributing to something meaningful, you're helping facilitate other people's success, people look up to you, you know, you've got that sort of respect, but at the same time, now imagine you've got an employee that has reached that level of success in the workplace, and then they come to you and they go, um, boss, uh, my spouse just filed for divorce, <sighs> and I'm about to lose my home and lose custody of my kids. Well, now where's their focus? Right back down to those lower level needs. Where am I yeah. going to live? You know, and and I'm going to lose that belongingness. I'm going to lose my family. I'm going to lose custody of my kids. You know, so now when they were up here, you know, as this high performer, now their needs have been, you know, they've been swept out from underneath Shifted. them and they're going yeah. to be focusing there. So we need to be responsive to that, that we have to recognize things are going to change. We need to help this person, whether it's through an employee assistance program or whatever, to get through this, to get basically get back on their feet and get them back to where they were, you know, sort of thing. So understanding needs theory is, is very critical, you know, at the middle management and executive level. And then ultimately when we get down, then we get to the point where when we understand how contributing to something more meaningful than yourself, you know, that, that what we all want to do, we all want our lives to be meaningful. We want our children to be proud of us. You know, oh, my mom does this or my dad does this. And they're so proud, you know, whether you're a firefighter, a police officer, an architect or what doctor or whatever, it yeah. doesn't matter. We want our children to be proud of us, you know, and so we're all striving to, to get to that level. Well, when we, when we define our vision of what our organization is doing, that's something we want to contribute that we're proud of doing. Yeah. And that our children will, will look at us, you know, oh, my, my mom works at SpaceX, you know, my mom does this, you know, and we're going to, you know, put people on Mars or whatever, you know, <laughs> and, and that, that future sort of thing, you know, that, that people are inspired by what they do. And that relates to that vision creation. And so when we can, when we can convey that, and it's also important, not so much that the vision itself is just so incredibly unique, but that people's different contribution to it. And I use the analogy of the inner workings of a clock mm -hmm. because you take the back off of a clock and you've got all these wheels and cogs and springs, but the mission of the clock is to display the time of day on the front, but all these cogs and wheels and springs have a different function. But if any one of them doesn't do their function, the whole machine comes to a grinding halt. Absolutely. You know, and that's where there was the story. And I don't know if this is true, but it's sure been run at folklore for a long time back in the sixties, when president Kennedy had challenged America to put a man on the moon and he took a, a tour of NASA. And while he's touring NASA, there's a young man that works there. And he goes up to me and says, well, what do you do here at NASA? And the man was so proud that the president was asking him about his job. And he says, I'm helping to put a man on the moon. Well, that person was the janitor. <laughs> but he knew that even though he wasn't sitting at the pointy end of the rocket or, or pushing the launch button, that his contribution was just as important as everybody else, keeping the, the workplace safe and orderly and clean. And uh, so that was his contribution to that. And I think that's where a lot of times we lose the value for our clerical staff, they get to the point where they're just pushing paper every day and you wouldn't be here if we didn't need this function. This, if we couldn't do our mission without your role here. And we've got to remind our employees of what they're contributing to and, uh, and that what they're contributing to is absolutely something meaningful. And that's where we get to that vision, translating it in, into reality. Mm -hmm. And then once we, once we get that vision, now we have to do the strategic planning. 
How are we going to translate that? You know, and who's got what responsibilities and who's got what accountability? And then when we decide what the accountability is, who has what step or, or what component of it? And, you know, this is my responsibility. This is my contribution to putting a man on the moon or whatever the mission is, you know, that that's where that intrinsic motivation comes from. And that's someplace that everybody wants to work. Yeah. And, and you know, I'm, I'm sure that this work that you do is something that's always changing, right? So it's not, you know, set it and forget it. It's always evolving and people are growing and learning. And so it takes time to master and it takes time to continue, you know, tweaking and and making sure that everything's working together and always reviewing and coming together to to revisit that vision and make sure that it's all aligned and everyone's on the same page. Oh, absolutely. Because that's what I was saying earlier was that there's two types of businesses, those that are changing, those that are going out of business, because yep. our environment is constantly changing. So that vision may change before you ever even get there. It may mm-hmm. change or there may yeah. be what I, what I like to refer to as change orders along the way, like, oh, well, we've learned something here. We've, we've got to change this or, or that's never going to succeed, yeah. you know, sort of thing. And um, and so even your strategic plan, that's got to cost that's got to constantly be modern and going to be changed. You know, that's where you know, something that you had planned. And in my classes, I use the example of a construction plan to build a custom home. Mm. Well, you've got the blueprints and you've got all the stages of construction, you know, whether you do the dirt work and the foundation first and all the steps that you go through. And then as you go through it, you realize, oh, this door opens across here and that's not going to work. So now we've got a change order or you have weather delays or, or, you know, supply delays, you know, so things are constantly changing and you've got to be able to deal with that and change. You're absolutely right. You don't just set it and forget it. Yeah. it. It's a living document, you know, between the vision statement and the plan and how you're going to translate that into reality. Yeah. Completely living documents. Well, I think that you have so much knowledge and so much information that, you know, many people can benefit from. And, you know, I'm, I'm happy that I can share that here on the podcast and kind of give people a glimpse of what you do and, and how you can help them. And, you know, is there a certain place that you like to send people if they're interested to learn more about uh, the trainings that you can help them with? Well, my website is toptierleadershiptraining.com. And so I've got a lot of information there and I'm actually, I've got a whole new set of videos that are coming out that are going to be updated and will be much better because one of the things that I've learned is through my academic pursuits and uh, probably some of my career, um, my videos were very academic. I'm going to change those, make those more relationships. I'm going to include more personal stories so that they they will make better sense to people. Um, But ultimately what I, what I love to do is I love to go and, and speak to people about leadership, whether it's an association meeting, a breakout session. And I also do uh, multi-day trainings for corporations. So I will go in and we can talk about leadership. We can talk about, talk about theories of human motivation and uh, we can talk about how to eliminate the top two employee complaints. And those top two employee complaints are number one, micromanagement. And number two is lack of direction. I used to know a guy that he would, he, for years, he taught classes to clerical staff. And every time he taught a class, he asked everybody in the class, what are your top two complaints about your employer? And over the years, he said, I can categorize 80% of the complaints into two categories. And that's <laughs> micromanagement and lack of direction. And it's so funny because as I, as I talk about that, I was, I was just uh, having cocktails with a, a woman a few weeks ago, and she was telling me about her adult daughter in the workplace and all of her complaints. Well, I had just talked about micromanagement and lack of direction. And then as she was describing her daughter's complaints, she goes, well, wait a second. She's complaining about micromanagement and lack of direction, like you were just saying. Go, yeah. Yeah, I hear it all the time. You know? so, You're like, yeah, see, we, it is a thing. I'm telling you. Yeah, we can resolve those two issues right away. Those are easy. 
Well, Bob, it's been a pleasure talking to you. And um, like I said, I appreciate you sharing your knowledge and insight and, you know, giving us a glimpse of what it is that you can do. And I hope that, you know, people will visit your website and see if, you know, they can uh, hire you to come to an event or, you know, uh, set up a, a training for their organization and and definitely take advantage of, of this knowledge that you have and, and helping people become better leaders and um, see that vision and grow together. So I just wanted to thank you for being on the podcast and, any final words or any final, you know, tips for anyone in this wonderful leadership conversation? Oh, gosh, I think, you know, we were, we were so conversational. I think we I kind of kind of scattered all around, you know, a whole bunch <laughs> of stuff there. But um, really, I think, you know, those, those three responsibilities, those are a great place to start. Focus on results, facilitate the success of your people and safeguard their welfare. If you do those three things, you are on the start to a great leadership career that people will ultimately you know, respect you for. And you may not know it right away. Someday you'll, the comments will come back to you and say, you know, you were the best boss that I ever had. And, and really, isn't that what we all wanna do? We, we wanna be the best we can possibly be. Wonderful. Well, thank you again. And everybody go out there, be a great leader and uh, look forward to hearing you and um, seeing you hopefully at a live event um, so I can le learn from you as well. Well, thank you, Tori. It's been an absolute pleasure and it's been really fun talking to you this afternoon. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for listening to the Creative Visionaries podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe, leave us a review, or share with a friend. Also, make sure to visit us online at creativevisionariespodcast.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. And stay tuned for more episodes to come. And remember, it's time to tap into your true potential and unleash your inner visionary.